season of Christmas tide and welcome to the 12 days of Christmas and to my final series of podcasts for all of you listening. I am hoping you will have had some time of quiet and peace on Christmas day. Though it is not the usual Christmas season we have perhaps had in the past, always there are things to be grateful for and sometimes quiet and rest are as much needed as communal celebration. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we have together been serving the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge for five years now. But my time with all of you is coming to a close at the end of this year, though some of my administrative work trails into January, and Bruce will be staying on as musical director as long as you are in need of him. While I was pondering how to say goodbye to you all, Bruce suggested that I share all that I have learned in our time together, an excellent suggestion. But on reflecting on this through Advent and Christmas, there seemed to be so many things to chat about And in addition, I asked Bruce to put together a mix of all the music we have done over the 39 podcasts we have produced 
since last March. Turned out that was quite a few songs. So here is what I came up with as my farewell to you. We have put together a final series of three podcasts of our music interspersed with things I wanted to tell you or I thought you might want to hear. The first podcast is a collection of my favorite scriptures, ones that are foundational to my own spiritual journey and will have undergirded all that I have taught you. The second podcast is a reflective look at the key theological matters of import in our faith today. And the final podcast is about what you have taught me personally as a minister and my thoughts on the future of the church. I hope they offer you times of reflection and also courage for the journey ahead. As your wonderful search committee continues to seek out new spiritual leadership, remember that you, each and every one of you, is the heart of the church. And our physical buildings do not need to be open in order for the gospel to be alive and well in the community. Bruce is going to sing our opening prayer. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in already stood, or earth received its frame, from everlasting thou art God to endless years the same. A thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun.
I have to tell you that I just love to hear Bruce playing and singing the traditional hymns. They are the ones he likes the best, being a bit of a traditionalist, my Bruce. I don't know if any of you have listened in church while a spouse or friend beside you in the pew was singing a hymn. It's rather personal, a touching experience to hear another sing their faith, don't you think? When I chose the scriptures that came to me right away, my go-to scriptures, as it were, the ones whose numbers make up my bank account codes, the ones I know by heart, I was surprised to see that they were almost all from the Hebrew scriptures, what we often, though erroneously, I might add, refer to as the Old Testament. And none were from the Gospels. But as you will see next week when we chat about the important theologies in our faith, that is because I see the Gospels as a whole and think of them not so much as individual scriptures, as narrative, stories I hold dear, and somehow like a great colorfully woven cloth that surrounds the person of Jesus. To pick at threads in this sacred tapestry has never been my desire, only to wrap myself in the wholeness and beauty of its fabric. I begin with Psalm 139, verses 1 to 18, 23, 24. If you want to know why I cut out those couple of verses in between, you can look up the specifics yourself. But suffice to say, I am not interested in the whining part where the psalmist commissions God to do terrible things to his enemies. You might call that a Jesus-infused prejudice, and that is fine with me. After all, this is my list of top ten, or in this case, top six, and I may choose what I will. I discovered this scripture at seminary, somehow never having registered it beforehand, though certainly I must have read it or heard it read before. It highlights for me the simple, important, and key fact that I am known and loved by this great mystery we have had the audacity to name. When we get ourselves in trouble, when we have forgotten this simple fact, this scripture brings back the fullness of divine love and our personal responsibility to accept that love and live accordingly. Psalm 139, 1-18, 23-24. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me, and you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in and behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in shul, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I 
have lived with the presence and aliveness of God for so long, I find it almost unfathomable that people deny this existence, but deny it they do. Though so often I think what people really deny when they say they don't believe in the existence of God is the existence of a small little God that has been placed in a tiny box with many rules around it and usually with the heavy stamp of a particular doctrine upon it. Because when you talk about love to people, when you talk about what gives them life, you can hear the divine Tinkerbell laugh gently in the background of their conversation. God does not need to be in bold letters in a conversation. The divine is so certain of its own existence, it does not need to be front and center in the dialogue to be acknowledged. That is a particularly human trait. It is the steadfast humbleness of God that astonishes, that something so immense, so powerful, so full and past our imaginings could take interest in the smallest detail of our lives. How can that be? And yet, I am certain that it is. The steadfastness and the mercy of God never fail to stagger me with their enormity. And every day, every day, every moment, every breath, the mercy unending, the chances to begin again and again with no recriminations, that is not human at all. That is what divinity is. Your mercies are new every morning, is so often my astonished thought. It is best expressed in lamentations, though it is found also in the Psalms and in my all-time favorite hymn. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 reads, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Great is thy faithfulness, 
Scriptures are enormous in their ambition, overwhelming in length and complexity, and the prophets in particular do tend to go on and on, my failing too sometimes, so I am somewhat sympathetic. Isaiah, for heaven's sakes, goes on talking for three centuries. So it is delightful when you find a passage that sums everything up. And I don't think anyone does that quite as beautifully as our country prophet, Micah. This scripture was chosen as the text for my commissioning, which in the Presbyterian tradition is the service offered at the first church where you are called as an ordained minister. And the person who chooses this text and preaches on it is the minister who is ordained just before you. The wonderful Reverend Dr. Heather Melnick chose this scripture and preached on it. She chose it especially for me as representing my calling as a minister. So I hold it in high esteem, partly because it was a great gift personally, and also because it simplifies our calling to something that we can all do. Micah 6, 6 
to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Show to thy show. 
book in the Bible. Scholars guesstimate it was written between the 7th and 4th century before Jesus was born. It's old. All three of my children discovered when they went to the same liberal arts college that the book of Job was where their year-long course in literature began. They were stunned that something from the Bible was the starting place for their secular education. I have to tell you, it was personally amusing that having left home to be educated, their first calls home were requests for my seminary knowledge on this ancient text. The book of Job, way back then, addresses the same question that we are faced with today, and particularly, perhaps, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. It attempts to answer the question, why is there evil in the world? And what is the relationship between evil and people and God? The bottom line answer is that, according to the book of Job, it is none of our business because we are creatures and God is not a creature and knows things we can't know. We are to avoid being evil and leave the larger questions to the divine mind, more qualified to understand these matters. What I love about the book of Job is not in the first 37 chapters. There, Job grovels and his friends talk in endless conversations that go round and round in circles. All Job's children die terrible deaths, as do his cattle and fields and houses and everything else he owns. Job's wife has unquestionably the best one-liner in the entire Bible, when in the midst of all the long conversations and the stink of failure and death, she simply says to her husband, curse God and die. But it is not those chapters that hold my interest. It's rather chapters 38 to 41, when after all this carry-on, the writer of the book brings God in to speak. And for three chapters, the divine voice speaks in a flowing poetic style of the many mysteries of this world that are unknown to us. In some ways, though it is an ancient writing, it feels modern because as scientists explore new territories, as they must do, they discover, alongside the philosophers, that the more they uncover, the more they are confounded by the intricacies, the beauty, the immensity of intelligence that links together the universe and everything in it. Here in the oldest book in the Bible is a lyrical rendering of the beauty of this world and the importance of understanding its value. It is, in my way of thinking, 
the Christian manifesto for all matters environmental. Here, in the first 11 verses of chapter 38, is a taste of its wholeness. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. the sparrow, God of the whale, God of the swirling stars. How does the creature say, ah? How does the creature say, the prodigal How does the creature say care How does the creature say life God of the neighbor God of the foe God of the pruning hook How does the creature say love does the creature say peace? God of the ages, God near at hand, God of the loving heart, how do your children say joy? 
like to say that it is a collection of Paul the Apostle's short little phrases and two small paragraphs from his correspondence that direct me personally. They are like little slogans, mantras that are embedded deeply in my mind, and for this I am grateful. I was never overly fond of Paul and his teachings until I came to understand that he was really just an ambitious lawyer that underwent a profound, life-changing spiritual experience. And thereafter, for the rest of his life, he was trying to figure that all out. We, all these years later, have embedded those writings in stone, and I am sure he would be horrified about such a thing, as he was trying to think his theology out, working on it as he went, with no intention of us holding it under a magnifying glass and claiming it as sacrosanct. But he was so devoted in his calling, so staggeringly honest about his failures and stumblings, embarrassed even by his own boastfulness, that it is impossible not to come to enjoy his company after a time and to feel safe within it, even if you don't follow all his intricate theological maneuverings. He got quite a few things consistently right, and they are so helpful to the rest of us stumbling along with him. In 1 Thessalonians, thought to be the first letter he wrote to an emerging group of Christian followers, he writes simply, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And in Philippians 4.11, I love this simple phrase. He writes, For I have learned in whatever state I am, therein to be content. And of course he writes four to eight verses. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, beloveds, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You will remember that on the third Sunday of Advent, we spoke of the importance of joyfulness in our life joy being born of a deep vein of gratitude that runs through us. It is a good reminder to us that joy lives within us always, running below the sorrows and irritations of the day. Remember this 
during Christmas tide. Stay well and be safe. As of last night, we are in a 28-day lockdown in Ontario, and it is important to take this seriously. I know it can be difficult for many, for those living alone, for those who struggle with the darkness this time of year. So reach out when you need to. Call those whom you think about. And remember that prayer and singing and the reading of scriptures is available to you at all times as a source of inspiration and joy. I will continue with the second part of this, my final three-part podcast series, next week. Every blessing to you this day and all days. Tree.